everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of several books on cycling with the Shred Girl series launching in just a few months now, which is very exciting. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach. So what have we been up to this week? I've been pedaling a lot. Yeah, Molly's been uh, co-coaching, I guess, here at the uh, national team camp for Canada uh, for cycling. Uh, specifically, we have mountain bikers on the road, um, but Molly has been riding while I have been watching from the van and carrying water and other things, which I actually don't mind. I like to watch people perform their sport, and uh, yeah. I feel like I've, I've got the better job this week, but yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I haven't been riding a ton. As a lot of you know, I've been focusing more on the running, but as anyone who's been listening knows, I have that knee issue that's been kind of ongoing for the last couple of months so we figured we we're going to give it a hard reset with a couple of weeks kind of focusing on cycling for endurance um, so it's actually been pretty cool building endurance this way and it feels better than trying to do runs and getting frustrated so for any injured runners out there or injured people finding a different sport to you know build your base with still actually works pretty well well, I mean, I think the fact that you've been able to get through the volume and stuff is maybe a testament to some of the consummate athlete uh, concepts we've been using. So, I mean, the fact that you have been running is a big base of your 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 fitness that you do carry, and you have strength training with that and all the walking we do, and um, I don't know what else you do. You do a bit of swimming on top of that. So I think, you know, especially for people who aren't, you know, going to world championships necessarily um yeah i think you're you're doing a good job with that thanks honey um anyway since it <laughs> i is... think i basically just told you you weren't going to world championships yeah jeez, sick burn out of nowhere um anyway so today we're actually talking to a woman who i've been following on instagram for it feels like forever she's got a crazy cool account she's a pro cyclist as well as being a registered dietitian uh, so Lori Netescu uh, most of you would know her as the cadence kitchen although she recently changed the name of her business to hungry for results um, she's awesome and it was really fun getting to talk to someone else who you know I'm obviously not a pro road cyclist um, but we do have pretty similar I guess athletic backgrounds we both run a bit or run a fair bit actually um, we both really like focusing on sport, but we also have jobs outside of it that are still related to the sport industry. Um, so it was really fun kind of talking about how she balances her training and her, you know, working with different clients and, you know, a bunch of how she handles some of the big nutrition questions that athletes often have. Yeah. And I mean, that's, there's questions always, right? No, and I think because nutrition evolves sort of with the athlete and, you know, the young athletes are growing and, you know, learning the, the basics, I guess, of nutrition and making those mistakes. But then as we get older, I think we just get more confused and bodies change and activity levels change. It's pretty funny. I mean, as you write about nutrition, which I do for a lot of different places, uh, you start realizing that even like the highest level expert has have they have different opinions from each other. So, you know, it's very hard to figure out what exactly you should be doing when, you know, one person you consider incredibly intelligent is saying one thing and then someone else you also consider incredibly intelligent is saying another thing. So, I mean, a lot of it comes down to personalization. I think that's kind of been the buzzword for the last few years in nutrition is, 
this idea of figuring out what actually works for you specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk a bunch about that. We also, I had um, done an article for Outside Magazine on diet resolutions that you should skip and sort of how to recalibrate them. So some of the more cliched diet resolutions, like I'm going to lose that five pounds or I'm going to go keto as soon as January 1st hits. Um, yeah. We were actually in Trader Joe's uh, checking out the other day on December 31st and uh, a man and a woman are standing in line ahead of us and the woman looked at the man and says, you know, you're going to have to eat this entire cake tonight because you can't have it starting tomorrow. And it was probably the funniest thing I'd heard because I kind of forgot that that's actually how a lot of people really see that new year. You see it like the the when you're going to start things, right? It's It's definitely... Hashtag diet starts tomorrow. Well, or anything, right? Like I'll get emails from clients. This year seemed like there was a lot of people around New Year's, which in the past I've not had as much, but I guess that's good and bad. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, okay, this is what I want to do. And then, you know, you suggest sort of a gradual ease into that. But then it's like, okay, I'll start that on, you know, a week from now. And it's like, well, why not do some of it now? Like why not start, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's, maybe don't eat the entire cake today with the idea of not eating cake tomorrow. Well, and that's perhaps part of the dieting and the resolution issue, right? I don't think it's bad. I don't think anything's necessarily bad, but the, you know, it starts on this day and ends on this day type thing versus trying to find some sort of workable solution for the long term. Yeah, exactly. Right. No um, different than, I guess you could compare it to like pacing a race, right? Like you can go out at your sprint pace or a hundred percent but if it's a longer event like we hope life is you know there, there's maybe a more sustainable pace there at some play at, at some point yeah exactly um so Lori and i talked through actually a bunch of those resolutions so you're going to hear part of that in this interview we talk a bunch about other stuff but we get into those resolutions and we'll also link to the article if you want to see her take on it plus a few other experts that i talked to um, but I thought she had some really, really good points. I was really excited to get a chance to chat with her about those. Yeah, it sounds like she's got some good experiences, both personally as far as, you know, being actually having a job, but then also performing at a fairly high level herself, um, but then also having the degrees and then also the work experience, right? She's not just working in a lab, you know, she's also working with, with real people, right? Yeah, Who exactly. also have jobs and families and stuff, so... It's always exactly. interesting. I always find that's the, the trouble. That's always my lament with a lot of people is um, finding that person, right, who has that professional experience, uh, but also, you know, sort of the education to back it up. Yes. And Lori also does a bit of the van life stuff as well. And I mean, I'd say actually about the level we do where you would never say we live in the van, but she spends a lot of her time traveling out of it for races and stuff. So she and I also swap some tips on what to put in your food box for the optimal cooking situation. Um, we, we laughed about the fact that both of us have contemplated the, the jet boil little mini propane stove and she actually has it, but has never used it. And I've almost bought it probably half a dozen times, if not a dozen times only to realize we wouldn't actually use it. Um, so a lot of good little tips for that. If you're someone who does a lot of traveling for racing or work or anything. So with that said, let's get into it. Enjoy this podcast with Lori. So yeah, let's, let's kind of dive right in. First of all, how do you pronounce your last name? 
Nadescu. Okay, that's what I thought. Always worth checking. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just going to get started here. When someone comes up to you and asks, what do you do? What do you give them for your bio? Because I feel like you have so many different facets. I do, and it's, it's really difficult. I don't think I would nail down like a proper one thing, mm-hmm. what, like catch-all bio. It kind of depends on who's asking and what it's about. Um, because there is like the athlete in me, the cyclist, the marathon runner, the dietitian, the sports dietitian, the writer, the Instagrammer, you know, so there's so many different things and and I just um, try to work them all together. Mm-hmm. But definitely I am a sports dietitian and a wellness dietitian um, and everything else kind of stems around that and builds on that. Mm-hmm. Now, before we, we dive into your educational background and stuff, I was wondering, could you explain what the difference between, you know, dietitian and nutritionist is? Because I feel like this is a common thing that people completely miss. Yeah, definitely. And it's hard because there's so many terms for things nowadays mm-hmm. and you can, you can call yourself anything. I was listening to a podcast and somebody was like, I'm director of awesome at some company. And that was like their legit <laughs> title, right? <laughs> Which is, which is awesome, but at the same time, it's just, like, really sets in that you can call yourself whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. But in, the, like, the real terms, dietitian, or if someone says dietitian, nutritionist, it's somebody who has gone through at least a bachelor's degree, who has gone through an accredited internship program that could last six months to a year, um, and that has passed a national accredited exam, that gives you these credentials. So it's really a commitment. This is like a full-time, all-in, accredited knowledge base on nutrition. And of course, there are different specialties around that. Mm-hmm. And then a nutritionist, depending on, you know, again, what that, who that person is, it could be like a holistic certification. It could be a trainer at the gym got, you know, anywhere usually between a three-week and a six-month like online certification or somebody that took courses in health that they like. Um, So really a lot less science-based, a lot less well-rounded, and and really less educated and regulated um, for that terminology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been through, you know, some of the programs that someone would take and could conceivably call themselves a nutritionist. And I'm like, I am nowhere near qualified enough to ever tell someone that I'm a nutritionist. Oh yes, I'm so <laughs> glad that you say that. And it's true. It just does not give you that like knowledge base. And the same thing, like I I had my certification as a personal trainer. I would not tell people that I was, you know, an athletic coach. Mm-hmm. Like no way did that prepare me to like go in and just give myself that title. Like yeah, I, I got a credential. I I took an online course, but that's all. So, I mean, with a dietitian, you're really getting somebody who's invested their complete career into nutrition and Mm -hmm. that knowledge base. Yeah. And I want to touch on this, your educational background before we get into your your sports background. So have you always wanted to be a dietitian? Were you always fascinated by nutrition? Yeah, I was. I was one of those weird high school girls that was like, oh, I'm going to have the organic salad today. And, you know, I was just always had that foodie sense and um, Wild Oats Market was like big at that time. So 
there was a lot of that health trend coming up. I lived in the West. So I just really gravitated towards food and, and enjoying um, the foodie aspect of nutrition. And that just kind of took me through when you're deciding at that age, you know, what to do in college. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, something that's more like health and wellness. And I like food, so nutrition. Um, and it ended up being a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. So when did the sports side of that kind of come in? Were you always interested in sports or did sports nutrition come after you clicked onto sports later in life? When did the two start overlapping? <laughs> yeah. So I think initially, like, you know, back in that high school sense where you're starting to get an idea of what you want to do with the rest of your life. Um, I was an athlete. I was a tennis player. I did track. So there was that um, athleticism, but it kind of ended as this is what you do to spend time in high school, you know. Mm -hmm. So in college, I was a gym rat. Admittedly, I worked out to burn calories, and and it was a hobby of going to the gym. I was always active, but not in a sense of being athletic, not in the performance sense, And, and they're very different things. It wasn't until after my undergrad when I moved to Florida and it was sunny all the time, I was like, I can't just sit in the gym. Like, you know, I have to change my lifestyle a little bit. And I started running and started cycling. And that's when I kind of bloomed as an athlete. So it was a later in life athlete um, and just starting my career as a dietitian. And then that kind of rolled as I, as the years went on into understanding more about how I could be a better athlete with my nutrition knowledge. Okay. And so when did you start the Cadence Kitchen website? Uh, I started it, I want to say two to maybe two, maybe three even years ago. And, you know, that hobby, that side project, Mm -hmm. um, you know, have a presence and and an outlet and then really just started putting a little bit more and more time into it and investing a little bit more energy into it and, and um, things just started to take off a little bit more with that. And now it's my full-time avenue. That's awesome. Um, okay, so you you were just like gym rat in high school, or gym rat in college, sorry. And then now you're an elite cyclist. Uh, normally, gym rats don't become cyclists. What got you on the bike? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was big on the treadmill. And I ran my first half marathon and marathon. I did an ultra run. So the gym rat kind of led me into running at first. I actually trained for my first half marathon exclusively on a treadmill. Because at the point, I was like, people don't go outside and work out. Like, no, sweaty and gross, you know. So, (laughs) yeah, I know. It's like a whole different world. So I was, I was still a gym rat and then running took me outside into the real world and and trail running and ultra marathons. And then I had a stress fracture. And I think that was a pivotal point of connecting the nutrition with being an athlete and figuring out that, oh, these two things are not mutually exclusive. Like they work together. And I was put into a boot and couldn't run for months, Um, but you could ride your bike. So Mm -hmm. of course. Um, I was spinning, I got a trainer and like that just led into knowing that I wasn't going to kill my body anymore with full-time running, but I loved being on the bike. So, 
So you, you lucked out there that you actually enjoyed being on the bike as a recovery tool instead of, you know, most runners would be like, oh, God, this is the worst thing in the entire world. It was not easy. It was not an easy transition. Anyone who knows me during those or knew me during those few months was like, I was a terrible person, I'm sure, because <laughs> it was hard. It was, it was a really hard transition um, and something that I have to come to terms with. But I am still, I think I, I still love running. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that runner's high. I don't get that as much from cycling, but cycling is a whole different game and it's taught me so much. Um, and I love being on the bike. So I'm really happy to have found that avenue. Yeah. So what made you choose the road? If you were running a lot of trails and ultras, I would have, you know, kind of assumed, oh, mountain biking, of course. But you obviously found, you know, your passion and your talent on the road. Yeah, um, I think it goes back to like that initial gym rat thing. I don't really, I don't have that adrenaline rush with it. I like it to be very straightforward. So mm-hmm. even my running, I really enjoyed finding ultras that were on paved paths or <laughs> or road marathons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even now, I would much rather just go out on pavement and run than go find a trail. I just, um, I enjoy the road. And the same with cycling. It's less technical in some aspects I think you can really just get into it and focus on the performance and the power numbers and it's a little bit more straightforward than going out and worrying about running into a tree or Mm -hmm. (laughs) just falling into some mud so um, and I've done some cross and the whole muddy aspect of it is not my thing I just I don't love it. I I really like the road and I like the endurance aspect of the road that you can just kind of go forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to kind of go back, when you were talking about the stress fracture, you said that was sort of what made you start realizing nutrition played a part. Were you doing something before that that wasn't helping with your nutrition? And if so, like, what did you change? What what did you find from that? Yeah. um, I mean, I was definitely focused on eating what I thought was healthfully at the time and had um, a mostly plant-based and I was a pescatarian, so included a lot of fish at that time, but I was definitely over-restricting and I was in that marathoners trap or, you know, like in many elite sports where you start to lose weight and you start to perform better and you feel lighter and so many athletes fall into that cycle. Um, And I was definitely one of them. And my stress fracture, I'm sure, was due to the fact that I was not nourishing my body correctly. And I was just breaking down my cells and my bones to where it couldn't support me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like a big wake-up call. And going through those months of not being able to work out so much and gaining a little bit of weight um, and really focusing on, you know, giving my body what it needed and I was able to come back and actually my next marathon out of the boot with about 10 pounds of extra body weight on me. And I had a PR and it was just this like huge wake up. of Oh, I can do this and I can do it better if I'm really paying attention and giving my body what it needs and not restricting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that really was the point where I started to get more into performance and eating for performance and how to connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a huge challenge. I was uh, helping coach a cross-country high school team this season, and 
you know, what the, you know, teenage girls think of as, you know, proper sports nutrition and stuff was, you know, frightening, to be honest. Like, oh my God. And then I'm remembering, oh, wait, I was thinking that same stuff, you know, five years ago and I'm in my thirties. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it's so easy true. to fall it's into so those. <laughs> and it's a story that it's not, it's so common that it's kind of scary, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's good to be able to have a platform and not that I always take the route of talking about, um, you know, restriction and body image. There's so much more to sports nutrition than just that, but mm -hmm. helping to put the emphasis on eating balanced foods and what nutrients can really help um, is so important to get out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're not you you're not just like a road racer like you casually jump into the occasional race. You actually race for a team. So how did you land on your current team? Yeah, um, I've gone through and road cycling. It's a it's a difficult beast. You know, there are so many women that want to race and not enough teams at the elite level to really have as many people in in the races. Um, Mm -hmm. So I went through for years of guest riding and it's kind of like you call up a team and say, Hey, can I ride for you? Um, and it's this like application process and it's an awesome opportunity, but it definitely gets tiring after a while. You're just kind of floating around and bouncing from team to team um, and being this like athletic nomad in the cycling world. So we, a few of us, um, women who are kind of in that same position of like bouncing around got together and formed a new team um for for the upcoming season so we're taking it and we're able to have a level of women for the domestic elite um level of mm -hmm. competition and, and and riding in the professional road tour and really Just being able to perform, you know, at that level um, as a woman, I think is really awesome. And it's going to be really fun to see what a new team can do. And it's exciting to have another team, like, added to um, the teams that are already out there and seeing it, the growth of the women in, in, the, in the sport. That's awesome. Um, also, like, scary and super courageous to, you know, dive into that whole thing. I've managed teams. I've, you know, ridden for smaller teams and I know what goes into trying to manage and put together a whole season and whew, more power to you for that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It is really exciting. It is a ton of work. So kind of back to that bio, like adding, oh, team director to mm -hmm. my list, um, which is a little terrifying to have that role, but also really exciting. And I know that the other women on the team are, we have such a good, strong team of people that have, they're all professionals. So I think that's one thing to note about women's cycling. That's really cool is most of the women are, they're professionals, you know, mm -hmm. cycling is a full-time, but also a part-time gig. So mm -hmm. you have to love it. You have to love doing it. And, and all the women on our team have their full-time professional gigs and are willing to do above and beyond to put this team together and have a full season. So it's going to be awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's so funny. I do um, a little 
commentary show on, you know, uh, cyclocross domestically and internationally for flow bikes right now. And every week I end up talking inevitably about, you know, oh, here's this woman who's, you know, come up in the rankings and like, oh, by the way, she's a full time biologist in her you know, spare time. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And it's so different, like not not to put the men down. But a lot of the men in this sport, well, it's just a big difference that I don't think a lot of the general public realizes is a lot of the men come up in their early 20s, late teens, and go right into the professional ranks. And with the women, it's definitely a later in life sport where most of the women have like careers and have like professional degrees. We have people on our US team that have, you know, degrees from MIT. You know, mm-hmm. these are brilliant motivated people and I think it it talks a lot to the sport where you have to be physically strong but you have to be mentally strong too oh definitely yeah yeah and it doesn't matter I think like what level of team you're on I think there's maybe maybe 20 women in the U.S. right now that are racing as their full-time that's all they do career and even most of them have some kind of side hustle type thing that they do right exactly um, that's awesome. Okay, so how do you balance doing that on the road with then also you've been doing a lot of run training lately? Is that just like an off season you run, or how do you how do you balance the two? Yeah, um, I run during the off season, so that was one kind of commitment I had to make when deciding which sport to go with and and to be a cyclist and to identify you know as a cyclist and have that be my main performance goal was. I can't, you know, only like top triathletes can balance that. And I cannot perform really well running a marathon and also handle like a five-day stage race. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I'm just that cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to pick. And knowing that I, you know, cycling is, there's so much energy into it. You know, I'm traveling a lot. You're racing for days and then you pack up and, go you know to a different state and you race for days again it's a very it it just takes so so much work to do that that running during the season is a few miles here and there you know Mm -hmm. so the off season you know once the late summer or early fall comes I'm so happy to get off the bike for a little bit and to start running and plug in and do a marathon to keep up general fitness and just get back to that kind of runner's high. Um, so eventually someday I will go back and really set my performance goals on trying to see what the best marathon time I can run is. Um, but for now I'm definitely fully focused on riding my bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I I've definitely tried to do both at the same time and yet never ends well somehow. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah, it's really hard. It takes, they take so many different muscles and, and different strategies and energy levels um, that doing them both just kind of weigh on each other in a negative aspect, I've found. So, and, and transitioning is really hard, too. So those first two weeks where I'm, like, not riding as much and starting to run, oh, my gosh, it feels like death. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how is this fun? Why do I want to do this? I'm, like, barely jogging. Everything hurts. But a couple of weeks later, and I love it again. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in that moment now, just from like a knee thing. I've been off of running for a couple of weeks, and yeah, every time I go out now for you know a five k or something, I'm like, oh, running so hard. <laughs> it, is. it really it is. is. Hard. <laughs> 
Okay, so what does your like ideal, and I know this is ideal is in quotation marks here, ideal day of like eating and training look for look like for you right now? Just because I'm so fascinated by this with someone who's professional in both sides, both the nutrition side and the athlete side. Yeah, that's a really fun question. If I could design my ideal day, <laughs> um, every day is kind of a it's like a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. So I, how I approach it and my strategy is what is my workout like? What do I have to do if it's a double or you know, yesterday it was a three-hour block, today it was an hour and a half, and then it'll be an hour later. So every day is a little bit different. So I start with when, that can, when the training is going to come, and that usually comes after I plug in meetings for the day and what work has to be done and deadlines. And then I go into blocking off the training time. And then I put in what foods I can eat around that and what makes the most sense to fuel my body for that specific workout and day schedule. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. What's, what's favorite breakfast? Like what's your go-to right now? Oh gosh. Um, so my favorite, I wouldn't even say it's favorite, but something that I eat um, before. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to do a hard workout and I need something beforehand, I've been really just hitting simple, like gluten-free check cereal with a banana and milk. And that digests really quickly for me. So it's mm-hmm. easy um, and it doesn't take a ton of time to make. So I know it's not, it's not glamorous, but it gets the job done. And then if I'm not training or I'm training later in the day, I really, I can't go wrong with like a soft yolk egg on some avocado toast. And I do, um, I eat gluten-free. So the gluten-free bread or English muffin. Um, But yeah, so those are my probably two different breakfasts. And I usually have a latte. I'm I'm a big caffeine person. Black coffee or a latte with as many powders as I could fit into my latte. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> definitely one of those people who have like the drawer of powders and adaptogens. And yeah, I, I go all out. Okay, what are a couple of your favorite adaptogens right now? I'm always so curious about this. Yeah, um, I think it's really good to switch it up. So I yes. kind of rotate through and um, the mushrooms are really important. So reishi and cordyceps, those are two of my go-tos. Um, and then black maca powder, I really enjoy, and that has such a naturally sweet flavor. And then spirulina, charcoal um, are two others that I use. Those are kind of my most common rotation. Nice. And I think there's substances that, like, in small amounts, you know, you're just trying to boost the body's ability to naturally combat stress and, and toxins without without doing anything too harsh, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of a little bit of powder that you're probably not getting from normal foods that you can add. So it's just a nice a little supplementation that you can do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ask you this before when you mentioned it. You were pescatarian before. Are you still a pescatarian now or have you shifted out of that? I shifted out. So during that time there was I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So okay. During that time, I was trying to up my iron levels, and that turned me on to eating meat again. Um, And I think it's very important to have a diet that's well-balanced, and that does include animal products, whether it's 
meat, fish, dairy, um, in the highest qualities that you are able to consume. Mm -hmm. So if you're you're going to eat meat and animal products, make sure that they're grass-fed, pasture-raised, wild, you know, go get the best that you're able to get. Um, That does really make a difference. But yeah, mostly plants, definitely heavy on the plants, but not exclusive to anything outside of being gluten-free. Yeah, yeah. I I had almost the same kind of trajectory, um, minus the gluten part. But yeah, I was vegan for my first several years, I'd say, of training and endurance stuff. And, you know, a lot of I was not I was a junk food vegan, like, let's be honest, but a lot of bad side effects from that. And I think you can maybe do it, but it's just so much harder. Yeah, exactly. And that's the perfect point is I, I definitely believe that you can do any diet style that you want if you're so careful. And yeah. most athletes <laughs> and most busy people don't have the time, the resources to put into being that careful. And you're just putting yourself at risk for so many more problems of vitamin deficiencies and injury and immunity issues that it's it's not worth it. Like just include a little bit here and there. It doesn't have to be like an all out thing, but a little bit of balance goes a long way for your health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the subject of balance, I actually like jotted this down as we were talking, you're balancing two very, very full-time careers, right? Like dietitian where you're doing these consults, you have a book coming out, you've got the website, you have all of this stuff going on on the that professional side, but then you're also a professional athlete. How do you balance the like training demands with the work demands? Uh, a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, yes. I imagine caffeination. No, but but really, um, it's it's be using like time and being very efficient. And I think that's one thing that I have. That's just part of my personality. I like to get as much out of every moment as I can. So a lot of multitasking, um, a lot of scheduling and and seeing when I can get the most out of my minutes. Um, And I'm lucky that these things kind of go together. So Mm -hmm. even when I'm riding or training and going to races, all of these experiences tie into what people eat or what you should eat and how I'm going to write the next post or what I'm going to contribute for the next article or project um, and how I can better counsel my clients and coach my clients on how to eat too because I am around more athletes I see what they're eating I get questions from them and you know sometimes I know the answer and sometimes it makes me think and go find the answer and opens me up to new realms so mm-hmm. I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky that they play off of each other. That I'm more invested in my nutrition career because I want to, you know, for a little selfish reasons, I want to perform better myself. So how can I do that? And I'm always kind of experimenting with myself. And then when I'm on the road and I'm performing, you know, what do I see happening around me? Do I see someone who's never reaching for the bottle, who's not eating before, who, you know, and and the questions that I get when I'm out there from the other athletes and kind of tie those things together. Um, And just making sure that there's time set aside for work. You know, you can't let one aspect outweigh the other. So Mm -hmm. there does have to be a balance where even 
on days where I'm tired or maybe I'm driving like across the country to get to a race or something and I'm stopped in a parking lot for the night and it's like getting out the laptop and putting on the hotspot and like, okay, we've got to get this done or we have to pull over for a phone call. Um, so it's just really, really being on top of it and being motivated. And I mm-hmm. think most athletes are. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that about the, the driving across the country because I feel like we, we do pretty similar and, you know, it always looks very glamorous on on the social media and on the website and everything. And then I'm like, yeah, except that I was at this truck stop, like taking a call with like my laptop in one hand and, you know, recording this and doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of managing and like, it's fun to think it's glamorous, but like there's a lot of times where, oh, it's so hard. And like, I drive a van that I sleep in and utilize the van life for a few months of the year when I'm out, you know, racing a lot and just have to be on the road a lot. So there are moments where it's like, okay, I just made my coffee in a truck stop on the ground and mm-hmm. like just got out of bed and there's like motors going all night and I'm by a freeway and this isn't like, I'm not overlooking some gorgeous Canyon and stretching my legs. Like I'm tired. I'm miserable, you know, so <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, I'm like loading my bike into right next to my bed in the rain, you know, there's so much that goes into it. Um, but it's fun. Like in the end, it is a fun experience. Totally. Okay. Since you have the van life thing going and we just talked about it, van life kitchen, because obviously, you know, you're into the nutrition. What are some of like your staples for in the van, both cooking and then your food staples that you always bring with you? Yeah, um, great, great question. Um, I so love eating this. on the go is something <laughs> that I feel like I have almost perfected over the last year. Um, and I, I mean, I have a cooler. So it's a cooler that plugs in. So you kind of have to assess, you know, what the kitchen is, what you can possibly accommodate. So a, a cooler and a few drawers where you can keep pantry staples out of a sink, which is nice, uh, a mini cutting board and a knife. So it's kind of just playing with that, like, what can you actually put together? Um, And if I can, you know, stop in somewhere and get some fresh items, then it's like a big salad, a lot of canned wild tuna. um, That's a go-to. So a good quality canned tuna, Um, cartons of milk. So whether it's plant-based or cow's milk, I kind of switch between the two, but there's the, um, uh, the shelf stable versions of those. So like utilizing um, packaged foods in the healthiest way that I can really comes into play a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of a lot of granola bars, a lot of bananas, um, and then making sure that those stops into food into you know, fresh stores are utilized. And I'm just like cramming vegetables in my face sometimes by that point because yep. I'm like <laughs> so in need of it. Um, but there are opportunities. Like some of it is there are times where I'm like parked somewhere nice. I'm at a campsite or a park and I can really like get out the cooking gear and make something fun. There's a lot of times where it's, you know, you're just constantly like driving, riding, driving, working, and there's no time to really set up. So it's sandwiches, it's canned tuna and crackers. um, You know, it's a shake, a protein shake. um, Mm -hmm. So just kind of utilizing, making sure that you stock yourself with the, 
go-to packaged items that are like the best quality that you can find and that will you'll feel good about utilizing more Mm -hmm. than you would naturally normally want to yeah yeah I love that do you uh do you do like a camp stove or anything like that yeah I always have that equipment with me so camp stove a jet boy um so I am prepared to have like a a saute pan you know so I can do that just the the amount of times that I've actually been able to utilize those is yeah. not that much. So, I know, um, there I know. Times, like I was at a race in Vermont and the weekend was just gorgeous. And I was out there and there's like all this fresh Vermont farmer's market produce and fresh bacon and maple syrup. And I was making these huge spreads. Um, but outside of that weekend, it's been very hit and miss to be able to actually like get out that equipment because then you have to think about when are you gonna what where can I clean that equipment you know mm-hmm. what can I actually so it, it becomes very challenging and a lot of times it's easier to just utilize um quicker options yes definitely it's yeah it's funny we keep coming back and forth between buying the jet boil or not because that's for that exact reason, we're like, okay, how, how frequently are we actually, like, are you going to pull it out at a truck stop in the middle of nowhere? Maybe? I have for coffee. I definitely have. <laughs> and, and it's useful because it's so fast, but also I, there, there are so many cool gadgets now that you can utilize for like travel. So I have a cup that plugs into like your car adapter and mm. it boils water. Like in what? the mud. What? Yeah, which is such a game changer because when I get up, I want coffee. And sometimes when I'm on the road, I'll utilize those like mushroom coffee packages. Mm -hmm. So being able to like start boiling water as I go and then just like mix coffee into it. It's amazing. Okay. You might've just like changed my life. What brand is it? You're going to have to find the brand and send it to me. Yeah. I'm going to (laughs) look it up because it's like Amazon is brilliant for getting me all the little gadgets that I need. I have a travel rice cooker, like, a travel individual waffle maker also brilliant oh um, my there's a God. lot of <laughs> a lot of little equipment that I take on the road with me it's, it's a traveling kitchen for sure okay that cup thing just changed my life because normally I bring just like a boy a kettle that I have to plug in so I'll like go into a truck stop and like in the washroom they usually have an outlet somewhere so I'm like the weird oh one God, like boiling so- water <laughs> definitely before I found this cup I had a pop-up like a uh, collapsible kettle and I remember one time like bringing it into Whole Foods Cafe and like boiling my own water at the <laughs> cafe table like it's, it's insane the things that we do and people are like what is happening you're like don't worry it's just my normal breakfast it's fine it's fine I'm it's traveling. fine <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good Okay, so you said something before about experimenting on yourself, and that's, I mean, it's awesome to have yourself as a guinea pig, and I definitely do the same. I have to ask, were there any just absolutely failed experiments that you've done, nutrition-wise? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to do, and I, I don't like to recommend something or, you know, prescribe something if, if I haven't tried it for myself, and I like to be able to get that personal opinion of like, okay, I know all this is happening, but what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like? Um, and one thing that I was doing recently, and I usually use the off season to do this because during the season um, is not the time to experiment. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so off season becomes like, let's play with our diet time. Um, and recently I was doing the, um, time restricted eating. So really trying to eat during a specific time window. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really fun. And I think that was one that I could really, you know, get behind and, and promote. And it, it takes a little bit of power and restraint and, but when you look at that one compared to some other diets, it's definitely an easier one to implement. And that kind of plays into fasting workouts. So that's another one that, you know, as I, as I start doing it myself, I, I have to ask, okay, am I doing this just because I'm doing it and it's a fad? Like what's the actual science behind it? And that goes into like reading a lot more articles and finding a lot of studies and, and learning the science behind it. And then, kind of looking at the science compared to my experiment of one and saying, all right, is this worth it? Is this something that I would suggest, you know, and, and how can I, if it is, you know, how can I implement or like, how can I suggest this to somebody else knowing the struggle that I went through to do it? You know, how can I get you to do it? And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it is being able to relate and have, um, that personal knowledge. So the time restricted eating and the fasting workouts, there's a lot to that. I've, I've put some new posts up about it and I'm definitely into it so far. So that's a a big positive for that one. Um, One of the negatives was I tried a big elimination diet and some of it was just like nightshades, you know, and it's, it's good to try it out. I'm going to say, I think elimination diets can show you a lot about the foods you're eating, but some of the things like getting rid of tomatoes and eggplants for me was just seemed like a, a couple of weeks of a waste of time. So I think you can definitely go too far into it where it's just like, okay, this is probably silly and doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Was that the low FODMAPs one? Yeah. Yeah. That one's brutal. Oh my gosh. The amount that you can't it eat. <laughs> It is. And, and, and that's like the point of it is to kind of pick out certain groups and not do the whole thing all at once. So it was definitely part of an, an elimination diet where I was like looking at, okay, I'm doing three weeks of no caffeine, no nightshade, like no, all the things that I thought might have bothered my digestion, got rid of them, and then added some in. You know, and there were some that I was getting rid of just because they were on that popular list of, okay, let's check these out. And others that I, I authentically was like, this could really be bothering me. Um, so I think that's one point when you're experimenting with your own diet is really ask yourself like, okay, do I really believe this is a problem that I have mm-hmm. or am I doing it just to do it? Because at a point you don't want to just give yourself dietary grief just because just because it's popular. Yeah. Which actually that lends super well into talking about a couple of these um kind of more ridiculous, I guess, resolutions that people tend to make around food in the new year, especially especially us athletes who, you know, are kind of looking for sort of the next the next thing, I guess. Any excuse to make the next goal and, and to perform well. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, so the one that I thought was, you know, kind of one of the big ones that I know a ton of people make is like, okay, January 1st, I'm going to go paleo, go keto, go, you know, no carb, go, you know, full crazy elimination, anti-everything diet. Um, 
<laughs> so well, yeah, I mean, poor January. Like I know. And I get it to a degree because, yeah, if you've enjoyed the holidays extensively, your body naturally just wants a break and, and being a little leaner and cleaner is fine. But like you're alluding to with those big blanket goals, it's kind of, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. You're not going to stick with it. So unless you're giving yourself a 30-day window, which I think anything can be somewhat helpful within a, a short time period, um, it can be fun to kind of reboot and recharge the system. But if you're saying, like, oh, I'm going to do this all year, really, and why? You know, kind of ask yourself why, and what are you hoping to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the biggest one lately has been like this: any of these super low-carb ones, whether we're talking about paleo or keto or anything like that. Um, so when someone says, okay, I'm going to, you know, January 1st, keto for life, um, what is maybe, like, an easier way to ease into this? Like, let's maybe drop the carbs a little bit. Like, what would you suggest for that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The word keto just, like, really so frustrating. It's like nails <laughs> on a blackboard, really. Right. Oh, my gosh. I, I hate it. I'm not a fan of the keto thing. Um, but if, you know, if someone's, like, really into it and really wants to try it out, it, you know, why are you trying it? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? If it's weight loss, like, okay, there are strategies that we can like work into for that. If it's performance, like there's no clear science that points to performance Mm -hmm. benefits. So kind of just working out and going from that why you want to do it, or do you really just want to eat a lot of fat? Do you really just honestly love consuming (laughs) coffee, right? Because that's what it is. And, And I think a big part of it is, is, realizing like what this diet entails because it's not just eating like you know fat bombs that look pretty on Instagram it is a real commitment to you know if you want a snack you consume a teaspoon of olive oil like does that sound like the snack you want to be having if you answer 100% yes then okay you might be able to handle this diet I also might think you're a serial killer, but (laughs) yeah, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be very difficult. Um, And there's a lot that comes along with it as far as, you know, um, as just reading into how high fat diet can harm your sleep habits. And like, there's, there's so much more to it. So really when you're making these blanket resolutions, you know, ask yourself why you're doing it. Like, what's the real thing you're hoping to get out of it? Yeah, my we always say like whenever someone says okay, I'm gonna go you know keto or paleo or whatever, like could you just maybe like cut out like one processed food that you were eating in a day? Because it's very rarely someone who's eating up like beautiful whole foods, you know, diet that's full of vegetables and they're perfectly hydrated and all of that. But like, could you just I don't know eat a vegetable? Like, just, <laughs> just start with the vegetable. You know, yeah, and starting is like the best advice you know for anything it's like you wouldn't just the first day you got on a bike go race you know an 80 mile race like it doesn't happen so look at your diet right now and kind of assess you know use a tracking tool really reflect on where your current status is and then making that big jump is not realistic so tearing down you know where you currently are and looking for those few big holes that you could fill with something healthier and that's that's really what you want to be focused on and that's going to have such a better like long-term lasting 
benefit for you than just taking on some huge diet that's going to include a huge grocery bill, revamping your kitchen, being miserable, uh, you know, like it's a whole lifestyle change. So mm-hmm. definitely starting small and kind of like working your way through from where you are to your current goal. And that's what any resolution should really tackle. Yeah. I remember this is like super lame, but I have the worst sweet tooth in the universe. And my biggest, like proudest thing was when I was able to like shift my eating chocolate at night to first, like eating a little less chocolate at night with a bunch of strawberries and then eventually shifting to like just strawberries. That was like the biggest win of my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's true and it's like you have to kind of like step yourself down and realize like okay the world didn't end when I did this and but if you were to just go cold turkey like you get those cravings and it's not a fire it definitely is important just to like wean yourself off something um and recognize like those small like little victories as they come like oh I I ate half the bag of chocolate tonight awesome go me (laughs) perfect you know and I'm like oh I ate a quarter with some berries like great I'm so cool you know because that really matters and that's going to be a sustainable long-term approach and and that's what we're all really after right it's something that we can do forever with and feel really good about it Mm -hmm. exactly um, so the other, you know, totally common resolution, and I was joking about this on the last podcast we did, was uh, for the past, like, 15 years, and not in the past two, but say from, like, age, you know, uh, I'm going to say 12 till the age of, like, 28 or so, my New Year's resolution was to lose 5 to 10 pounds. Now, I never actually weighed myself. Could not really tell you what my like, starting weight was. Just knew that 5 pounds that needs to come off. Um, yeah, and it's not <laughs> never ending like five to ten pounds. It's always going to be there, right? No. You could always lose another five. Pounds. It doesn't matter where we are right now. It's like no. five pounds that'll make my whole year be amazing. Exactly, uh, exactly. My life <laughs> is going like, to change. Right, and 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 maybe, but again, like so, you you noted that you didn't weigh yourself first. So that five pounds really, it's not a it's not a factual thing. It's just that idea of losing weight that is your goal. And you can't have a good goal if it's not pinpointed and if you're not reflecting on your current status. Mm-hmm. So if you're not saying like, this is where I am right now. My diet over the last year has been pretty poor. I've eaten a lot of junk food. I'm definitely at a heavier weight, less desirable body composition that I want to be because I just got tested and I just stepped on the scale and it wasn't pretty. And like, you need to be able to know that and know where you are currently to make any kind of change. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you're just like jumping blindly, those, anything you do, you can't really say like, Oh, it was this or it was that, or this matters because you might've been doing that all along. Yeah. You really have to know, like you really have to reflect on where you are right now and then the point that you need to be and kind of just working on bridging that gap. Yes, exactly. Also, like, I mean, no one ever, it's never just like, it's never five pounds. Like, that's the most arbitrary number. But I would say that's probably the thing everyone will say that they want to lose, right? It's never like, I want to lose oh, yeah. like 7.3 pounds. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and and it just kind of simplifies it in our mind. And I think to the point, like, oversimplifies it. Of, like, oh, it's this 
blanket goal. And I was just writing a little post about this like earlier today about, I don't know if you've seen like on Instagram, because I swear half of my life is on Instagram. (laughs) Um, So the whole like monthly intentions became Mm -hmm. really big this year. And everyone like drawing in their journal, their pretty journal, their perfect handwriting and colorful pens about what they, what their intentions were for the month. And I was like looking back through all of these posts and like scrolling through, trolling through the hashtags. And I was like, these don't mean anything. You know, they're just like, be more mindful. Number two. (laughs) Spend less money. Like, okay. Like, these are the definition of New Year's resolutions, and people are making them, like, monthly. There's no goal attached. There's no, like, action statement attached. And that's what really makes a goal be able to be achieved is you have to to lay out a plan. Mm -hmm. So maybe your goal is to lose five pounds. Maybe you really want to lose that five or ten pounds. That's really important to you. For a lot of athletes coming off the off-season, that's a very real goal. And – making sure you can't just say like I want to lose five pounds like what is that five what is that number after you lose five pounds why do you want to get there and how are you going to get there so is it going to be you know not eating snacks in the evening is it going to be having a smaller portion of whatever during the day you know be very honest with yourself about how you're going to get there Mm-hmm. Because the goal is meaningless if you don't have a plan in place to reach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other two myths that I kind of thought are, you know, poor resolutions that I thought of actually are those like month of January ones. And I'm I'm sort of, I waffle on these um, because on one hand, you know, yeah, it can be a really good reset. But on the other hand, the one time I tried to do dry January it led to a very wet February. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. And and I personally like I can't handle even the thought of doing a dry January. No, it's very January, upsetting. Let's face it, it's a miserable month. Yeah. It is cold. For people like us who live in the tundra where it is bitter cold and you stay inside all day, like that glass of wine in the evening is like it's happy, right? I don't yeah. want to give that up in January. Like that will make me a miserable person. So like okay, maybe the holiday season was rough. Maybe you were drinking a lot during the off season. Start cutting it back. You know, when it gets to the race season, that's going to be dry. It's going to be dry March through June for sure. You know, Mm -hmm. it's January maybe isn't the best time to dive all in. You know, you don't want to have it backfire. And that's a big part of like these big blanket goals and these kind of diving all in statements is they most likely will backfire. And that that backfire is usually worse than your starting out point. Yeah, so, exactly. Like you were saying, the very wet February. Like if you're going to go dry for January, make sure that you have a plan to like ease yourself out of it and not just like go all out once, once the short-term resolution is over. Um, and I think it's just, you know, I much rather prefer when people do something that's more sustainable or has a more long-term reason and aspect to it, something that you can really take away. So instead of being dry, you know, just limit it a little bit. Don't say no sugar. Don't say no alcohol. Just say, I'm going to have three drinks a week. You know, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like to you? Or depending, and it all depends on what you currently do. If you currently have 
two drinks a night, well then maybe take it down to one drink a night. And then towards the end of January, your goal is like three drinks a week. You know, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a much better sustainable practice of working your way down and getting used to a smaller amount than going cold turkey. And then, oh, as soon as that, that day is up, you know, you're, you're going all out and yeah, exactly. Gonna have a really terrible hangover. So not a good look. Yeah. I also noticed with my dry January, that really meant the chocolate consumption at night went way, way up. When, the, <laughs> when there's no glass of wine, you're like, well, there's extra calories that I can totally have in, in chocolate form. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's that trade off. So yeah, it's so common that we make these goals without really thinking about how we're going to take them on and how they're going to create balance in our lives and like what what they could completely derail, you know, and is it worth it? So, yeah. And I'm, I'm really, I think New Year's resolutions are awesome. I think we should all make them, but make them in a way that you're, it's going to benefit your overall, like, long-term health and performance and nutrition. So mm-hmm. definitely have to have that long-term aspect. Yeah. And then the last one I thought of is the one that I've definitely been guilty of, just like the laundry list of resolutions where you're like, I'm going to do CrossFit 10 times a week and I'm going to podium at CrossFit regionals. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to do a marathon. I'm going to start fasting for one day a week. <laughs> yeah, And the list goes yeah. on. <laughs> right. Because we kind of like tend to dump everything that went wrong in, in the last year into January 1. Yes. And Right, like we must tackle all of these things. And and really it's like pick your big goal. You know, maybe it's getting at the podium at nationals. How are you going to get there? And that involves a lot of different aspects. So you have like these micro goals that get you to your big resolution. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is, you know, lowering cholesterol levels or whatever. And how is that? You know, it's not just what you eat. It's how you live your life. It's maybe smoking, drinking, sleep habits, you know, different physical activity. So you kind of have to have that big goal and then just break it down. But if you're find yourself just dumping all of these random goals that you feel like achieving, you know, what do they add up to in the end? Is mm-hmm. Are you trying to be a happier person? Are you trying to be more fit? Are you trying to be better educated? You know, what is that ultimate goal? And then start chipping away at, like, how you can accomplish that. Like, what are those little micro goals? Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good answer. I love that. Uh, okay. So I think that wraps up all of our New Year's resolution things. Um, but before we before we wrap this up, uh, talk to me about your new book. That's super exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It's like one of those projects that I've I've always wanted to do this, and I'm still kind of in shock that I have one like sitting in front of me, and it's mm-hmm. a printed thing. Like it's not just an ebook. It's not on my website. Like this is actually published. My name's on it as an author. You know, it's still like setting in as like, oh wow, this is kind of cool. Um, and like so much work went into this, and. And a lot of it was actually written during intelligentsia. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was such a stressful time. And I loved my teammates so much because it was like breakfast, you know, before races and having to be, you know, at these crisps all day, every day for like 
like 10 or 11 days straight, right? Yeah. And like traveling to them and, you know, everywhere in Chicago takes you like an hour and a half to get each way. So it was like this big chunk of the day. And then I'm like, oh, I have a deadline to get like three chapters done this Mm -hmm. week sent to the publisher. And it was just such a crazy time. Um, But such a fun project. And I'm so happy that it's completed. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a 30 day, which kind of speaks into some of our resolution talk, um, mm-hmm. like cookbook and meal plan. And the reason that it's like 30 day is because sometimes those micro goals are really helpful to stick with for a certain time. It's like way easier to commit and say like, okay, I'm going to eat, you know, more whole foods and plant-based for 30 days mm-hmm. instead of doing it forever. Because forever is hard to take on. And forever isn't something that I think we have to take on with all things. Um, so this is a great way to kind of just like revitalize, reboot the system, um, and and have a plethora. I think there's a hundred recipes in here, original recipes that you can pull from to have that healthier month and to see how you feel by eliminating the foods that probably weren't making you feel so great. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I can't. It comes out on Christmas, right? Yeah, so it's up for pre order now on Amazon, and the ship date is on Christmas. So just in time to help you out with those resolutions. Perfect. Get a little bit of clean eating in. Um, yeah, and it's, it's all the recipes are naturally gluten free um, because I have to try cooking them. So Fair enough. Yes. The gluten, so they're all gluten free, <laughs> and they are plant based. Um, and the reason for that is because I'm not an exclusive plant-based eater, but I feel like that's the easy part, right? We all know how to add a scoop of yogurt to something. We all know how to grill a chicken breast and cut it and put it on a salad. Mm-hmm. Like that part of it isn't the part that most of us struggle with. The part that we struggle with is getting that foundation, that healthy plant-based diet so that when we're saying like, Oh, I'm I'm plant-based eater. It's not a junk food plant-based eater because it's so easy to like fall into that convenient trap. So yes. learning how to play with your vegetables, make your own dressings. Um, you know, it's something you can commit to for a short period of time that you're gonna you're gonna have lasting benefits. So you're going to see how your body feels eating this way, and then make up your mind to stick with it or to incorporate just bits and pieces. Um, as you go on and, and start your like more normal eating process. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Where can everyone find that? Where can everyone find you? All the all the handles yeah. and websites and everything. Right. So there's a link to the book at thecadencekitchen.com. So that's the main website. Lots of recipes and blogs and nutrition services on there. And then you can follow at Instagram. Um, Instagram at Cadence Kitchen. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member 
so you can get all of that rad behind the scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.